Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Welcome back to the Your Family Dog podcast. I'm uh, your host, Tina Spring, and I'm joined today by my smart and pretty co-host, Julie Fudge-Smith. And today we're going to talk about bringing a new dog into your home and what you can expect and, and really does it really take a dog three days, three weeks, and three months to settle in, or is is there more variability to that? And how do you how do you make that settling in maybe more optimal versus winging it? So, as is typical for um, our presentations. I did the introduction, so Julie gets the first set of comments. All right. Well, you know, it's funny, Tina, because I looked down at my notes, and I didn't write three days, three weeks, or three months. I put three days, three months, three years. So um, I would think that um, maybe I need to realize, I was just chatting or, you know, writing away as we were talking, but it is three days, three weeks, three months. So... As we have talked, this is not a hard and fast rule in any way, shape, or form. So what it, we'd like people to think of when they're talking about three days, three weeks, three months, is a general guideline. You should be getting information during these three periods that will give you information as to whether or not this is the road you're going to go down to, going to go down with this dog. So what I usually tell people is that the first three days is kind of like being having a house guest. You know, your house guest is on their very best behavior for the first three days, right? But after a while, at some point, the real house guest is going to come out and the same thing's going to happen with the dog. So that the first couple of days may be miraculous, but at some point in the first three days, you're going to start to get a glimpse of what this dog is really like and who this dog really is. And so um, don't be surprised if on day three, suddenly we're chewing up toilet paper that we didn't, you know, didn't go anywhere near on the first day. I don't understand. Well, that's because we're settling in and beginning to feel this is a little bit more like home. And then at three weeks, you should have an even better idea about how your dog perceives home. And by three months, you're going to know whether or not this is going to work for you. So these are not hard and fast guidelines, but they should be ones that you could kind of pay attention to to give yourself an idea if we are on the right course to making this something that's going to work for both of us. Well, and I've seen it in the inverse, too, where the first three days the dog is awful because they're disoriented. They potentially have a new name. They, they don't know what the rules are. And for some dogs... Um, They'll really act out during that first three days. Absolutely. And, and tear their hair out. And I'm like, okay, well, you're not, you haven't even met this dog yet. So I like to use it as you're kind of showing them around and they have a concierge service that definitely that first three to five days, like dog's going to be on a leash. I'm not going to assume that I know what the dog knows or doesn't know. So I'm not going to assume a dog is house trained until they show me they're house trained. And even if they are house trained, if they don't know what door they're supposed to go out or how they're supposed to ask you to go out, you can't really trust that that's like, that's not going to necessarily give you a good read on whether they're house trained or to just pick one thing. So I do a lot of saying um, to our customers here that 
dogs are typically on a leash in my house until they are fully house trained, which isn't just where do they eliminate, it's do they know what they can chew on or not? Do they know what they're supposed to do when a guest comes to the door, right? Do they have more life experience that they know what the expectations are in our home? I think that's a really good way to put it, that house training is not just about urinating and defecating. It's kind of like basic training in the army, right? It's not just learning what Reveille and Taps are all about. It's learning the whole kit and caboodle. So um, I think that's a that's a really good rule of thumb. And I think that's where a lot of people tend to become really frustrated with their new dog is they give him a, too much freedom too soon. And the dog doesn't know what to do with it because I haven't been, I don't know what the rules are. So at least I, I kind of do, but I don't really know. And and so, you know, too much free, it's, it's kind of like with teenagers. You give a teenager too much freedom and, and this is just not going to go particularly well. Well, and, and like teenagers, I don't want to give them more responsibility than they can handle. And I don't even know that dog yet, right? So uh, I, I don't want to have to be the heavy all the time. Right. And I like the idea of giving a responsibility because the dog does take on responsibilities to let you know when I need to go out, um, you know, that there's, um, I, you know, I need water or whatever. There is a responsibility that the dog has, but the dog has to learn what those responsibilities are. And until we're sure that we have those responsibilities down pat, it's better that we keep a close eye on one another so that you can study me and figure out what my signals are to you. And so I can get a clearer read on your behavior as well. So it's not just so that you can keep track of the dog. Part of it is it's helping the dog figure out who you are, which is just as important in this situation if it's going to work. Right. I don't want to assume that they know things they don't know. Because I don't want to find out about gaps in their education by accident. Right? I don't want to find out that the new dog in the household hunts cats once I get home and I let the dog loose and he's, I can't get him off my cat. Right. So we assume that shelters and, and breeders and people who are placing dogs in home and rescues give us accurate information. Um, one of the dogs I adopted at five years of age, the shelter told me, the rescue told me nothing about his deafness. The I would not have adopted a deaf dog, um, not because I'm bigoted against deaf dogs. One of our dogs is very sensitive about space, and he grumbles quietly to say, hey, you're too close. And so he had lived with a deaf dog already. I knew that that was really hard on him and, and the poor deaf dog. So I just wanted to avoid that with the current dynamic in my household. I've, I've had deaf dogs before. I just didn't want it this go around. So, um, right. There's different different phases in your life. You want different things, or you or you're ready for different challenges. You know, like the Zuzu has been a bit of a challenge, and that's fine. I was at a point in my life where I could take a challenging dog. When I was raising two small children, no, the last thing I needed was yet another challenge. So that's the other thing is 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 that this three day, three week, three month period should be enough time for you to decide whether the challenges, because every dog brings his own particular challenges. 
I don't care how quote unquote normal the dog is. Every dog brings his own personality. So you need to decide in this time period, I think, is the challenges that this dog bring compatible with my current lifestyle? And some, most of the time, I think people are able to make that work. But the times when they can't, I, I, I don't want them to feel badly if they feel like this is not the right dog for me at the right time. And that's why I think looking at these time periods, you should be able to make a decision fairly quickly as to whether or not this is actually a relationship that's going to mesh. Right. And, and to a certain extent, we just don't always know, right? They're changing all the time, and so are we. Our situation is changing. So the I, I wish people would I, – I really wish that they had done it as, like, a week and then a month and then a year. I think that's actually probably a better barometer for most families just because the dog's cortisol levels are going to be high for five days right? Especially that first week or month, I am not taking that dog everywhere and introducing him to everybody and all the things. It really is. We're doing like a systems check. Like, do you know your name? Can you come when called? Do you jump on people? Do you, are you barky? Are you afraid of things? Are you super comfortable with things? How are you with this? How are you with that? We're doing bonding exercise with our family And I'm really not introducing, I don't even really introduce dogs that first week to the other dogs. I mean, obviously they know other dogs live there. They see them, they smell them, they interact with them, but I'm not doing real um, introductions that soon because I don't know that new dog that well to know whether or not that's going to go well. And I don't want to add stress on top of stress. I'd rather handle one hazard at a time. So um, we do a lot of crate and rotate when we're bringing a new dog in. That's a really good point. I was going to say, when I brought Clementine home, um, Zuzu is, is a natural mother. She has um, always been very good with puppies. And even though Judy, our breeder, decided that she would not be a good dog to breed for a variety of Zuzu reasons, she did help to raise a bunch of the other litters before I got her. And so I knew that she was pretty good with puppies, and she'd been good with with Bear, who had been a a difficult dog. But with Clementine, what we did was I had Zuzu in my office, and I had a whole pile of chicken in my office, and Brad sat in the the hallway on the other side of the gate with a pile of chicken. And we just let the dogs look at one another and feed them chicken, you know. And then if Clemmy moved over to the gate to sniff at Zuzu, and Zuzu moved over to sniff at Clemmy, that was great. They could sniff each other through the, yes, I said Clementine's name and she looked up like, yes, are you going to give me chicken now, mom? I heard you talking about chicken here. So, yeah, so there was a lot of, you can see one another, you can move towards one another if you want to, or you can back up without the other one being on top of you. So there was a lot of time spent with a barrier in between them, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a big door I trusted Zuzu enough that she wouldn't crash through the gate because she loves puppies. Right. But it worked out really well. And then Clementine also wasn't overwhelmed, although she grew she grew up in a house with a whole bunch of clumbers and goldens, so big dogs were never an issue for her. But nonetheless, take it easy. You've got plenty of time. You got ten years, you know, with, with these dogs. That's my that's often my point with people. Even like we we just I just finished up with puppy class today and 
one of the families has an adorable, very, very nice little Boston Terrier puppy. And Maverick's overtired. And so, you know, mom is kind of tired and school's going to be out here in another week because we we end up we end earlier and start earlier in, in Georgia. And so I can see that look of terror on her face of like, uh oh, like the hardest parts with this puppy have been when the kids are home, too. And now we're going to have a whole summer of that. So she and I just talked about some strategies and that um, keeping Mav up more does not make it easier to incorporate him with 10 and 11 year old children, right? The better rested he is, the better he's going to navigate that. And it's not going to make him not a Boston anymore. He's still going to be a Boston Terrier and busy and funny and charming and bouncy, but he'll navigate stress better. He'll, he'll be more resilient, which is what we want. So we just talked about like, if she wanted a management makeover to learn how to kind of adjust things so that it works a little bit better for everybody that I would be happy to help her with that. But yeah, I think often I see lots of people who get a new dog and immediately bring him to the store to buy him a leash and a collar and a new bed and a new bowl and a bag of food and this, that, like, and the dog doesn't even know who he's with. <laughs> yeah. He's like, are you my mom? Like, are you still my I, I have foster? No, why are we here? Right. The dog is just bewildered and they're like hugging it and kissing it because they know the dog is safe and going to be loved. But I don't necessarily always know that the dog knows that. Right. The the other mistake I have seen, well-intended, well-intended people, but they adopted a new dog, which I think was the one I'm thinking of in particular. I think it was a wolf hybrid, but I don't remember for sure. Anyway, but they adopted a dog. And the first thing they did was they went to the dog park. And they said, um, that didn't go real well. And I'm like, I'm not really surprised because... One, the dog does not know who you are, doesn't know that you can be his advocate in the dog park, much less, of course, we've had these dog park discussions. Who knows how I mean, the dog's going to feel overwhelmed? I don't know who these people are. I don't know why we're here. I don't know these dogs. I don't know this place. You know, these dogs are charging at me. I don't feel safe. It's just, it's, think of it in terms of, like if you were to land in a foreign country with no translator, right? And somebody whisks you off to do something that you have no idea Great. what this, yeah, you know, I, <laughs> we're going to go off and, you know, we're going to, I'm going to take you sheep herding in Mongolia and you're going to have to eat fermented mare's milk and, you know, horse meat. And it's like, this may be really cool, but I'm feeling very overwhelmed because I, I, I feel like an alien from Mars. And I think that we need to remember that for dogs to be taken from something, no matter how familiar or, un, you know, if they're from a rescue that may be what they're familiar with at the moment, or a breeder, to plunge them into you, yes, you are a good and loving owner. I'm not doubting that. But this dog has just been transplanted into alien environment and you need to, to proceed with a bit of caution and gentleness. Well, and I've started to see some good videos. There's a humane society and I, I have brain fog, so I don't remember exactly which humane society it was that probably would be helpful for me to sort out, but they have done a bunch of videos with a human as a stand in for a, a dog. And 
uh, and humans doing what humans do with dogs and just saying like, how comfortable or uncomfortable would you be with this interaction? Like if every time you fell asleep, somebody laid on you and gave you kisses, would you be happy and comfortable with that? Or would that be pretty overwhelming? If every time we gave you a bowl of cereal, if I came over and stuck my hand in it, because I thought I wanted to teach you to not guard cereal, which I never understood why people think that works. Like if you mess with the dog, yeah, you're teaching them that you are not trustworthy, not that you are trustworthy. Like, don't, don't take stuff away from them. Be a giver, not a taker. Again, like that, I think people assume stuff. Um, they've kind of filled in all the blanks with, you know, stars and unicorns and rainbows. And sometimes there's a goat in there or two. It's not a unicorn. It's just, it's a goat with one horn. Well, one of the things that I was going to say is that when I would have a, a puppy packet that I hand out to my new puppy owners, and there's an article I would include um, reference to, it was from the Whole Dog Journal on, um, it's called like uh, something from Planet Dog. And it talks about how things are done on Planet Dog as opposed to Planet Human. So I will link to that in the show notes because it was a really good way of sort of realizing that the way dogs view the world and the way dogs interact with the world and what's appropriate for them is not necessarily what we consider to be appropriate behavior in the human world. And it was just a really nice little reminder of how dogs who've been transplanted from planet dog to planet human may perceive what's going on. And like for them to, um, you know, to jump up is not, you know, that's not rude in doggy world. You know, or various other things like, you know, you, you urinate where it's nice and soft. That's a, that's a good place to go to the bathroom. But that doesn't necessarily mean the carpeting. Although that seems like a really right. nice, absorbent place to go. If you think about it, if you're a dog and you're in, you need to go to the bathroom, why not go someplace like carpeting, which is really absorbent, it's soft, and it doesn't pool on your paws. So cool. Why not? You know? And it keeps the scent for a long time, so I know where to go back to. So, you know, there's lots of good reasons to use right, carpeting. So I want to avoid all that. Like, I want it to be that, that I know that the dog knows where to go, how to ask to go out, and that they don't have that freedom. I mean, basically, I don't want to have to replace things or have expensive vet bills. And that's what I see happens when we let, like... Hey, you're home. Go. Like, so I had, a, I have a client right now who adopted a new dog from a, a rescue. She, they have a fenced backyard. They got the dog home. They opened the back door. They took her off her leash and she's been outside for six weeks because they can't catch her. Oh dear. That's uh, that's because, not, that's not right. ideal. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Like that's not like, I, mm, okay. Yeah. That would be, a, that. that's not great. So I think it's prop, I think it's safe to assume that this was a dog who's feral. Um, and so we're talking about like how to slowly improve things. Um, but in another six weeks in Georgia, it's going to be quite warm. Um, and that's not going to be entirely safe. So we, she didn't call me right away. Like she's a new client and said, Hey, so this is what we did and we can't catch this dog. So we're, we're working on it, but she did finally catch her today's Thursday, Tuesday. She sent me a text and caught her 
And I was like, did you let her go again? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, good. Like, because she's not trying to get out of the yard, right? So we're letting her move at her own pace, but she at least now, you know, got her on a leash once. So we'll, we'll build from there. Which is it's another reason like, why I tell people, especially when you're house training, other than the, you know, the biggest, but, but with you're trying to figure out where I'm supposed to go to the bathroom is don't give too much freedom either inside or outside. Because one of the things that happens sometimes is people say, oh, I take the dog outside and we have a fenced yard, so I just let him go. Well, I really want my dog to know where to go and that, that we earn the freedom of being able to play in the yard. So there's such a thing as too much freedom outside, even in a fenced-in yard, when you're trying to teach a particular thing because you want to take the dog to where you want them to urinate or defecate. Then when they go, that's when the party starts, right? That's when the treats come out. That's when maybe you let them off leash so that we can play. And one of the things that I have found is that you want to get, you know, the fastest peer in the West. Make sure you go to the bathroom before the walk starts. We don't go on the walk to pee and poop. We pee and poop and then we get rewarded by going for a walk. So you're using life rewards to teach the dog what you want them to do. So that one of the rewards doesn't have to be food. It can be we get to go for the walk or I'm going to take you off leash and we'll play fetch. But you need to do your duty to God and country first. Yes. And again, I'm looking for what kind of enrichment can I do with that dog that's going to lower stress? So lots of sniffing. I That's the new. So y'all can't see this. Um, <laughs> Julie's losing her mind because I just texted her pictures of the new Beauceron puppy that's in puppy class. And he's beautiful. And he has great temperament. Like he's lovely. lovely. I am moving to Georgia to steal that dog. Oh my goodness. Please. That is the cutest oh, thing. Oh my. Very sweet. You know what? We will make him, if it's, if get the permission from the owner, but we'll make him the, um, this episode image. Oh, so I'm sure she'll be fine with that. Okay. He's adorable. Yeah. It's like, does he want to be puppy of the month, employee of the month? She was like, sure. So, um, again, I like, I don't assume, so I kind of learned this with foster kids. Like we would all kind of assume that a seven-year-old knows how to brush their teeth or they know how to take a bath or they know how to make a bed or they know how to strip a bed or they know how to lay their clothes out and have them match and to change their underwear every day and to change their socks every day. But that doesn't mean that a child necessarily knows that. And I would say that the exact same thing is true when I'm bringing a dog or you're bringing a new dog into your home, I don't assume the animal knows anything in our situation until they've been there for a little while and we've tested that out and we've made sure the dog is really comfortable and relaxed. And part of that starts with you get a pheromone collar. We got a pheromone diffuser in the room you're in. Like I'm, I'm not going to assume a dog doesn't resource guard until I've, like kept an eye on them and seeing what they're doing and been like, Oh, you have the tennis ball. Are you willing to give that to me? Or do you look like we're going to have to work on that? I'm making my list of hierarchy of what do we need to work on first? I can tell you once I'm healed up, Dovey is going to begin working on, we empty out our bowel and our bladder before we get to play. Cause he will play for two hours and forget to take care of business. So he, that's a, of learning he missed so i'll just build it once i'm healed up so to inform our so we'll take a little break from dogs right now just to uh inform our listeners who've been following along with our mutual odysseys 
So you finished up radiation, and so what's your status at the moment, Tina? So I'm I'm officially allowed to say I'm cancer free. So thank you for all the lovely thoughts and prayers. I finished up my last radiation um, yesterday, and big shout out to University Cancer and Bone Center here in Athens, Georgia. They took phenomenal care of me. There will be a little while um, before healing really sets in, but hopefully, you know, in the next month or two, I'll start being able to get back a little bit more to normal. And I'm excited uh, for, for that. I'm excited to, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm excited to start working out again. So I did, I did add line dancing back in already. So I'll be doing that later today. So one of the things, oh, and how's it going with the house? Didn't you close on the new one? We closed on the new one. We took possession yesterday, and I remembered to get the electricity turned back on today. So when I was over there today, and I couldn't open the garage door, I went, oh, I forgot to transfer the electrical. But anyway, shout out to AEP. I called them. Half an hour later, the truck was out there turning on my electricity. So yay. And um, so we hadn't sold our current house, but um, we had some, some interest in it. So it was, it's still here. And so I'm still sitting on two houses, but I have complete confidence in my realtor and the house has only been on the market four days. So that's okay. Four or five days. And um, I did talk to my publisher and the official uh, launch date for my book is August 1st and we will start pre-orders in July. So as soon as I get that pre-order link, I'll get that up for everybody. Anyway, so that's our updates. But back to our regular scheduled programming, now that we've had our little interruption here. So so one of the things I would say is begin with the end in mind. So don't assume that your learner knows anything. And then quick, short, little lessons. So um, Dovey, I'm going to use him as my example because he's kind of typical, uh, likes to come out of his crate as if he has been shot out of a cannon at a circus. So, and that usually results on him like coming out of his crate, either tackling the person in front of him or bouncing off our glass door at the back door, which none of those options make my heart sing. So I just spent like three minutes, three times this week, practicing the, like, like you need to hold your position in your crate And the way I did that, I didn't say anything. I didn't close the door on him. None of that. I just threw beef liver in the back of his crate as soon as I opened the door. So he like turned around inside his own skin to go, wait, what? (laughs) And now I, how I know that those three short training sessions work was that um, this morning, Christopher came in and woke me up and said, Dovey won't come out of the crate. (laughs) So he had integrated with those three quick lessons that he's not supposed to come out of the crate until he's released. He's a little slow on that uptake. So I got to clean that up for Christopher. I do a lot of safaris with him. Um, He can, he can escalate. And again, he's not mean, he's just big. He can escalate really quickly and accidentally hurt me. So there's a lot of, before I put a leash on him, there's a scatter of treats while he doesn't resource guard. As he's eating those treats, I'm attaching a leash. And then I have treats in my hand so that when he's done eating those treats and he hasn't clobbered me, he's not going to immediately be like, let's jump on mom, right? I'm paying him for keeping his feet on the floor. And, and I practice that even for like going outside so that we start to 
settle down some of those behaviors, some of his enthusiasm with fur moments so that he can be enthusiastic, but not destroying everyone around him and the house. I really so, like the, the, the keep your, what's your end game? What's your, what, what's the behavior you want to right. see? And then think of little ways that are easy for you to reinforce. Because I think for our families who are really busy, you know, they've got t-ball and they've got softball and they've got you know, end of the school parties and they've got all this stuff going on to ask them to, okay, you need to do some serious training with your dog for an hour every day is just insane. That's just not going to happen. So those cute little, those they're not cute little tricks, but those those little things that you can do to make things easier for you in the long run are well worth some thought to it. Yes. And we could honestly, you know, I'm sure you could sit thinking about Clemmy and go, what are three things I'd like to work on next week? Same thing with Zuzu. What are three things you'd like to work on next week? It can be as simple as the dog had the manner before and forgot, which does happen. Um, as you know, as they age, they sometimes get a little brain fog too. Or the dog is new to you and you're like, you know what? I'd really like you to wait before you get out of the car without you know, me having to wrestle the squid back into the backseat of the car. So there's always something we can, we can work on always. Um, I think with a new dog, I'm just trying to make that list and then prioritize it. What, what do we need to do first? Right. Well, we, um, right now in, in the new house, I'm having a fence put in the backyard to enclose the fence. And I'm not even going to let, I, the dogs have not been to the new house yet because the fence isn't done. It should be done this afternoon. Once the fence is in place and all the gates are up and stuff, then I will introduce them to the yard because I want to work on how do we approach a gate and go out because they've never had gates like this before. So I have a brand new opportunity to work with them with a new thing to say, this is how we work a gate. And so I wanted every, I wanted the system to be in place. I didn't want them to ever have a concept of the yard without a fence. I wanted their first impression of the backyard to be, this is a really cool fenced in backyard and mom built a really high fence that, that would be an effort for me to go over. So I'm not going to do that. And then we will work on gate etiquette over the next couple of weeks so that I don't feel like they're rushing the gate. So the first time that we let them out, what I'll probably do is pull my car into the garage, close the garage door, we'll go in through the house, and out one of the house doors into the backyard. Let them explore the backyard, and then we'll start working on gate work. Right, because I, so with Dovey, he goes over our fence. I've never had a dog who was a fence jumper, right? So um, well, um, I have, okay. which is why I now have a much taller fence. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I mean, we weren't planning on the Doberman, so it's there, but we're having to do a lot of training of like, get away from the fence, get away from the fence, get away from the fence, get away from the fence. And then we have to have a means to prevent him from going over it if we're not out there because, you know, sometimes I have to go to the bathroom. So it's... No, it's, sometimes uh, you can't watch your dog... Every single second of every day? What is your problem? I know. I'm a terrible, terrible I know. Terrible. Well, you so, know, I'm sure you do a far better job than I do. I, there's no doubt in my mind that, that your dogs are far better. People say, you must have really well-behaved dogs. I'm like, 
mm, they're good enough. <laughs> yeah, they're just, they're good enough. So, so part of what I would say is every single family, and when I was a young dog trainer, I thought everybody should have to have the same rules. I'm over it. Those, I, don't, I, I don't worry about that anymore. But I will say every family has, you know, what, what do they need their dog to know? And I don't really have a fuss with people if, like I had someone who said, I don't care if this dog is ever nice on a leash. And I was like, you know, he's a big, strong guy. He's like, I'm not worried about it. I was like, you have a wife or a girlfriend? No. I'm like, your vet tech will care, but okay. Like they handle unruly dogs all the time. Now I would tell you, I think it's worth benefiting and it benefits a dog to learn how to walk nicely on a leash. But I got him doing really nice sniffaris with a loose leash. And the dog is decent on a leash. He's not perfect, but he's pretty good. And okay. Like, you don't have to have heel position for me. Like, it's all right. If you just want a dog who walks nicely on the leash, that works for me. So some people, the dogs, it always makes me laugh. The people who think they're confessing when they're like, our dog's allowed on the furniture. I'm like, me too. My dog's around the furniture. I don't care. Yeah, they say, oh, or the or the big one is, oh, I know you. This is wrong, and you're gonna hate me for this. I let my dog sleep with me. I'm like, yeah, so do I. So I mean, there there are reasons why there there are certain certain circumstances where I don't advise that, and it's usually because the dog is right. resource guarding. But in general, if if there aren't any issues, I don't have an issue with it. Well, and to give an example, a kids and dogs example. Is okay. So if I have a dog who's sleeping in bed with me, how is that dog going to be if my six-year-old gets up in the middle of the night with an upset stomach or with a nightmare and comes in and approaches me in the bed? Like, is the the dog's going to be startled because they're asleep? Are they potentially going to guard the bed and me? Are they going to get stuck? You know, like lots of dogs sleep on the floor next to their humans because we're too restless at night. I've had lots of dogs that get stepped on on the side of the bed. So we just move them. If if your child, and it, this is equal opportunity, kids could go to whichever parent. Kids typically, if they're sick, if they're not feeling well, they have one parent they go to primarily, the other one not so much. I don't have the dog sleep on the floor on the side of the parent that the child is most likely to come to. So that the child isn't accidentally stepping on a dog they didn't see and hurting them. And you might think that that's funny, but I regularly step on a 60-pound dog who I can't see in the middle of the night because he's red. So um, it happens. Oh, it happens. I know. Zuzu will get off. She she If she's not, like, pinned to me, she gets off and she lays on a dark brown bed, a black dog on a dark brown bed at night. And, and so it's like... Yeah, it's it's really easy to step on your dog. It's even easy to step on Clementine, you know, who's who's white and kind of glows in the dark. So, yes, I, I think that's a great piece of advice. So I think what we're boiling down to, if I could summarize what we've talked about today, is instead of thinking in terms of three days, three months, three days, three weeks, three months, not three days, three months, three years, three days, three weeks, three months, think in terms perhaps of one week, one month, one year. Because I think in that term, you're going to get a much better long-term perspective. And I think the idea of just three days, dogs just maybe either going to start to settle or it's going to start to come to life. So give it a week. And 
if you see some real red flags during that week or things that really upset you, write them down and talk to a trainer because they're going to be able to give you some guidance as to whether or not this is something that, yes, this is a genuine red flag and I'm so glad you called, or gosh, I can understand why that is upsetting to you, but I don't think it's going to be a problem. But if you write them down and call a trainer and you've done it within the first week, your opportunity of making this become a non-problem is much greater than if you wait a lot longer. Well, and with less heartbreak. So so let's say that the, there's some behavior that is problematic for a family with a, a new dog in their household. Um, the trainers can't live with you. Like we can't move in with you, though sometimes we feel like we do. There are just some things that are not movable, right? Um, I am never going to do the work I would need to do to look good in a bikini. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I'm not going to do it. Dog training is not everybody's like, woohoo, yay, we get to train the dog. Some people just want to live with a dog. So if you have a dog and the way that, a new dog and the way that you approach it is you're looking for what does this dog know and not know, and you find something that's a problem, it may not be a problem for 99% of families, but maybe it's like your own little thing that bugs you. If it's something that the family's not willing to work on, and that the dog's not going to innately learn how to fix that thing because they don't think it's a problem on their own, you're not going to love that dog less in eight months. So if you see something that you're like, okay, this, this isn't a great fit, and you're unwilling or unable to say, okay, we're going to do training, or we're going to work on this, or we're going to adjust something, some stuff I'm not going to try to adjust. Like, there's some things that are just deal breakers. Then, then hopefully that it's easy for that dog to go back and to find the home where it's not a square peg in a round hole. Right. And that is so important for the dog, for the health and well-being of that dog, that it's not, you're not trying to force the dog to be something that it can't be or force a situation to be something it can't. And it's also for your health and well-being. Yes. It's in everybody's yes. best interest to find the right dog for the right home. Yes. And sometimes our situations change like they just do. There are some things, for example, at a shelter, most shelters, most rescues cannot evaluate for separation anxiety. The dog's not in a permanent placement. There are other animals there. They're not necessarily going to know. It doesn't mean that someone was being a jerk to you and lied. They just, the behavior didn't present. Behaviors will present differently in different homes and even with different handlers. So I have dogs on my service that if I take the leash, the dog settles in and is completely relaxed. The moment I hand the leash back to the owner, the dog's like a little bit bouncy and silly. And it's that I know what to do. That new owner is still learning and is learning each other and is likely trying to unlearn some habits that didn't help so well because they're just doing the best they can. Right. So write down your red flags talk to a trainer. Some of these red flags may not be genuine red flags. They might just be, you know, something we can be tweaks. Sometimes they are. But the sooner you get that information and talk to a trainer, the more likely you are to make the decision that's right for everybody. And if after a month, you know, maybe you talk to a trainer and after a month, this is still not working, then it really is time to think about relocating the dog or rehoming the dog or working on, you know, 
what is it if this is genuinely a problem and it's persisting over the course of a month then that's something that really needs to be addressed in a serious fashion but be kind to yourself and be kind to the dog in that give yourself the space to be who you are and give the dog the space to be who it is i mean i had i remember i wrote a column once called this is not the dog i wanted and when somebody says that to me that is a real big red flag saying, okay, what is the dog you wanted and how is this dog not doing that? And usually it's said with a great deal of sadness and a great deal of emotion because it's just not the right fit. And yet they feel like they have to keep this dog because they promised it. Well, you know what? What you promised was to provide a home that was going to work for the both of you. And if it's not working for the both of you, then let's see what we can do to make it better. And if yeah, it's not it's the dog not always, for you. We just don't always know all the pieces. That's right. That's right. So, And a really great family and a really great dog can just not be a good fit. Like it doesn't, that's not an indictment of, of any individual. I have some people who love training, love it. Guess what? They don't want a project dog either. Most of the time they want an easy dog. They can go that they're like, I can take my dog anywhere. We can go to the brew club and we can go here and we can go there. And the dog does really great. They don't necessarily want a project either. I just caution people like, don't invite every kid in the neighborhood over to meet your new dog. Like it's not fair to the kids and it's not fair to the dog. And the dog doesn't even know where they've landed yet. I would say that don't take them to the dog park. Dog parks are a whole nother issue. But yeah, just um, proceed with caution. Write down your concerns, talk to a trainer if necessary, give some kindness to yourself and to your dog and give yourself a little bit of time to see if this is the right match. And if it's, if it's not the right match, then it's a kindness to find the right match for that dog and for yourself. So I will also say in my experience, the hardest dogs, like the dogs that have been, have required the most work um, on my half have taught me a lot and have become dogs that are the best trained dogs in our house because they were not easy. So they had to learn, I had to learn a lot and they had to learn a lot and we sorted it out and it ended up being a really great fit eventually. So just, they're not, they're not likely to be a perfect fit from day one. Right. And I would say sometimes the, the most difficult becomes the most endearing as well. I have just found that sometimes the dog that I've had to work the hardest with, or the child I've had to work the hardest with at times, in that moment, in some ways, is the most endearing. But thank you for joining us here on Your Family Dog. If you like the podcast, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast. Tell your friends. Give us a five-star rating, and uh, we will see you all next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.